welcome to the Living Well With podcast. My name is Caitlin Soule, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist who specializes in using cognitive behavioral therapy to help people with things like anxiety, worry, depression, OCD, and just general life issues. In this podcast, I will share insights from my personal life and my clinical life around mental and emotional wellness to help us live better with whatever life throws our way. Okay, so I have Danielle here with me today, and we're just going to have a conversation about working with children and families who struggle with both anxiety and also behavioral issues. And I brought Danielle in, as I said in my little intro, because she is a specialist in this area. She's a therapist on the Petaluma CBT team, and she's great when it comes to working with children and families who are struggling with what to do about difficult behaviors or anxious behaviors. So I figured it'd be fun to just kind of have her in and have a conversation so I can introduce her to you guys as well. So, Danielle... I've talked about you a lot, but I haven't had you on. So tell us a little bit about who you are, how you became a therapist, and uh, what you specialize in. <laughs> That's a lot. I know. That was, that was a lot. <laughs> this, in, this in its own right is causing anxiety for me, so this is great. It's like an exposure for Danielle. Pushing me out of my comfort zone, definitely. Okay. Um, who am I? Is yeah. that what you who, asked? Who how are you? Came like, to be a therapist? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. My name is Danielle Javadi. I... I have just always, I feel like, had a passion towards getting into this field. I remember at a young age, my dad um, kind of uh, gave me insight and said, go into, go towards a career where you're helping people mm-hmm. and that you can take anywhere in the world. And um, once I quickly realized that I can't handle blood or the sight of anything like that, <laughs> um, nursing, medical, stuff like that was out of it. And so mental health is kind of where... Um, I landed, where that took you. Yeah, yeah, where that took me, and I absolutely love it. I'm fascinated with how the mind works, just how thoughts and feelings can really shift a situation, and how it can, um, how people can view different situations so differently, yeah. just based on their mindset and their own experiences in those moments. Totally. Um, and so, yeah, I got my bachelor's in uh, business with a minor in psychology and a master's in marriage and family therapy and here I am (laughs) I work as a school counselor um down in Marin three days a week and I love being able to be in a school environment and work with families and see kids in the classroom and see how behaviors and emotions manifest um in that environment Mm -hmm. and then private practice is such a nice um nice way to pair that because then I get one-on-one work as well yeah you really get to see the whole spectrum Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely that's really cool so um so before your work at the school in Marin tell us a little bit about your background in the field have you mainly been in schools um I know you're new to to my private practice but before that tell us about your experience yeah I um oh gosh let's see during my master's program I know like By the way, guys, we do 3,000 clinical hours before we even get licensed, so um, it's kind of hard to remember all the things sometimes, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, Before going into schools, I've been in schools for quite some time now, Mm -hmm. Um, but before going into that, I worked for a while at an agency called Seneca Center, Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I worked as a counselor there um, that would manage teams and get to be in the homes with um, kids who had pretty high intense 
behavioral issues and family struggles. Um, yeah. And so I worked a lot, a lot of trauma. On, a lot of yeah. trauma. We worked with kids who were in um, the CPS system as well as probation mm-hmm. and just worked a lot on family reunification, how to help family systems um, yeah. function and help kids understand their own um, reactions to the trauma that they've experienced yeah. and how to go ahead and um, just be present and be in the moment with their family and, yeah. and function. So I did that for a number of years, a lot of crisis work and crisis calls as well. Um, and then pretty quickly from there, once I started a family, I realized as important yep. oh, as yep. that She's work is, too, yeah, <laughs> mom of two young boys, yeah. um, I realized that my passion really lies within the schools and then have always had an interest in figuring out how private practice kind of works into that as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah. You're doing it now. And I'm doing it. <laughs> yeah. So I worked in Petaluma for a number of years mm-hmm. um, for the Petaluma City Schools mm-hmm. and then have been down in Marin for about six years. Wow. Yeah. And yeah. Starting this new venture. Starting this so new tell venture, us a yeah. little bit in private practice, what do you specialize in? Yeah. Like what are your I mean, I know you can do a lot. Um, <laughs> Danielle's trained in EMDR, um, she's trained in cognitive behavioral therapy, um, and other things as well. But tell me and tell us really, what do you what do you what types of people and families do you enjoy working with and what do you feel like um, is your specialty area? Yeah. I have a passion for working with kids, teens, um, in the world of anxiety Mm -hmm. and wrapping the whole family along with that. Uh, family systems is so important to me and just realizing like how that shifts and has a big impact. Um, I'm not one to think that, you know, one hour therapy a week is going to help solve some struggles that are going on in a little kiddo's life. So being able to pull the whole family in and really figure out how we can shift things at home is um, important for me. So I thought that was one of the coolest things about like meeting with you and um, getting to know you to be part of the practice is that you have such a strong understanding of family systems and we can really relate on that because we both specialize in anxiety and mm -hmm. kids, right? But this idea of... (laughs) Sometimes we get the parents, or I have in the past, that just want to send their kid to therapy for one hour a week and and be like, you know, I mean, I know why. They want their kid to get help, but they assume that that's going to fix the problem. Um, We all get busy, maybe don't necessarily feel like we have the time to be a part of the child's therapy, but what we hope people know, right, is that it doesn't just, it takes the whole, it takes the family system, and it takes the parents really learning the skills to be able to coach these kids at home around behavioral and and thinking changes. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah, I thought that was that's something that you can bring to the table. That's really cool. Yeah. yeah. So family working systems, with family yeah. systems, yep, working with young kids and teens individually and then working with um, families and parenting as well yeah. um, is a big part of that. And not necessarily all at the same time, but yeah. bringing them Figuring in their own rights and what that, that dance looks like. Yeah. yeah, what it works for each family differently, exactly. right? Um, okay, cool. Tell me, because so so being someone who mainly specializes in anxiety and OCD over here and trauma, <laughs> I don't work with a lot of kids with just straightforward behavioral issues. Now, as you and I both know, kids with anxiety will oftentimes present mm-hmm. uh, with behavioral struggles or issues, sure. irritability, things like that. Tell me, like, tell me a little bit about how you how you see anxiety and behavioral issues cross over, and then. Um, maybe what looks different with straightforward behavioral issues versus straightforward anxiety? Sure. That's a really big question. It is 
but big let's question. chat about it. <laughs> let's figure it out okay. together. <laughs> I'm just jotting down some notes in terms of what you're asking me. Um, Did I ask so, you too much? <laughs> no, it's okay. <laughs> I love it. It's okay. Like I said, this podcast is new to me, so collecting my thoughts is... You're doing a um, great job. Yeah, here we go. Uh, yeah, a lot of behaviors in the world of ADHD can, or even in the world of anxiety, can look very similar. Yeah. Um, you know, it's anxiety isn't always just this panic or this worry. It can manifest itself in anger, frustration, yeah. um, a lot of body movement, silly behaviors, Things where kids are trying to avoid situations, but for specific reasons mm-hmm. versus just an inability to attend. Mm-hmm. Um, and so oftentimes seeing the difference between the two can be quite challenging. Yeah. Um, and in my work, I'm, I don't diagnose specific ADHD um, and then work on medication or that angle. Right. But I do work on parent education as far as Once what that looks like and what they can yeah. mm-hmm, and what they can do with that. And I yeah. work really closely... I guess also in my private practice, bringing in my passion for schools, mm-hmm. I work collaboratively um, with schools as well. Yeah. So getting in touch with teachers and counselors as far as what interventions can be applied in the classroom. Yeah. And it's so important. Again, yeah. And again, beginning of stages of anxiety, interventions may be really similar to interventions that you may apply to um, somebody struggling with ADHD as yeah. well. Yeah, tell us tell us what those look like a little bit. Some of the interventions, yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, a lot of body movement, allowing for breaks, mm-hmm. allowing for just being able to take space and remove yourself mm-hmm. from a situation. Mm-hmm. But then doing that in a thoughtful way, where they're working on body regulation work. If it's anxiety specific, mm-hmm. we work on specific scripts that kids can be telling themselves and supporting themselves in those moments. Yeah, so working on the thoughts and mm-hmm. the thinking cycles. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, and recl- replacing that with some positive. Um, yeah, more helpful. Yeah, more helpful. Curious too, like when you said remove them from the situation, because I think I get this, um, I, I work with parents a lot around this myself. Um, when they have IEPs because they have anxiety or they have special mm-hmm. like accommodations at school, mm-hmm. um, a lot of times the kiddo and the parent ask for them to be able to leave a classroom, right, mm-hmm. or go into another room. And I really have to think very carefully about mm-hmm. that because, and I'm interested to hear what your perspective is. Yeah. I think it's important to make a child, first and foremost, to have be, have them be willing to show up at school. And sometimes right. it's like whatever it takes, right? Because mm-hmm. when they're anxious, a lot of times they want to avoid school in general. Sure. So whatever it takes to get them in the door. But then I always want to say we're working towards not having to leave the actual physical right. classroom. Exactly. Right? Because we want to work on that approach behavior mm-hmm. versus avoidance. We want to help them learn mm-hmm. that they can be with their anxious feelings. Sure. So sometimes, though, what I'm hearing from you is there's that space in between where yeah. they can actually do that, right? They need yeah. to have some opportunity to be able to step out or do some what did you say, body sort of regulation right. and stuff. Right. Yeah. yeah, you know, I think we come from a similar approach. You yeah. talk about that monkey mind, and yeah. I, I talk about oftentimes in my world of anxiety and my work with families is around focusing on um, the process, not the content. Mm-hmm. So anxiety is going to show up at any point in our lives. Yeah. It shows up for us on a daily basis, and it's how we're going to 
um, overcome that and work our, work through it. Yeah. And so, regardless of what the worry is, right? Yeah. Exactly. We can't create this world and this bubble where we're just never going to have our worries and we're going to remove ourselves from yeah. it entirely. That's not just realistic. not realistic yeah. and not something we want to set up for kids. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are times I think in the classroom where anxiety starts to rise or even those ADHD if you want to label it like that ADHD Mm -hmm. behaviors start to kick up and separating and just be having a moment to yourself to be able to say this is my worry coming Mm up I'm okay yeah I'm going to be able to do this and then being able to step back into a situation and Mm -hmm. just being able to have that body regulation and understanding of what's going on in your body Mm -hmm. um and for ADHD, that can look different. The script would look different, but mm. it's still the same. What would the script look like? <laughs> and it may not be a script in that moment, mm-hmm. but this is, okay, my body is at this level right mm-hmm. now where I need, this is what's being asked and required of me, and this is where my mind is right now, mm-hmm. and it's having a really hard time focusing. So I may need to chew gum. Mm-hmm. I may need to have a band at my chair to be able to wiggle right. or move. I may need to just step out in the hall and do and we I have a number of body movement bingo games but wall push-ups or just a quick you know listening walk where you're taking a moment to fully be in your body and yeah um, yeah so helping them so often I mean you know more about this than I do in the world of ADHD but because of the way that our school system's set up Mm -hmm. so often it's about trying to make the kiddo stick through it, sit through it, and sort of white knuckle, right? right? And what we want to help them learn is that there's interventions, things they can do in the meantime um, to be able to regulate themselves because it really is a brain disorder, right? Like it's really that their brain is working differently than than a non-ADHD brain. Right. And I think just taking the time to create those coping skills for them where Mm -hmm. they have them at their disposal gives them the sense of advocacy, like this is what I'm experiencing right now. This is my understanding of my body and how it works uniquely to everybody else. Mm -hmm. because we're all unique in that respect. Yeah. And then being able to understand what they can do to help support themselves is right. so empowering in its own right. Whether you're looking at anxiety or behavioral issues yeah. in ADHD. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. For sure. So um, the crossover between the two, right? We talked about that a little bit already. But what do you, what I notice um, is I have parents oftentimes come in whose um, children having they think they have anxiety, but what confuses them is that their anxiety... Um, will manifest via these anger outbursts or irritability, mm-hmm. yelling, shouting, screaming. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell me um, what you've noticed with that and how that can, why do you think that's a part of anxiety and maybe how it shows up a little bit differently in ADHD or does it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, the aggression, the frustration, And anger, I think, Mm -hmm. definitely comes up um, in families, and that's when it's really important to do that family work and peel back. I feel peel back the layers in terms of what what is being done in the home to kind of trigger that response. It can feel really scary and terrifying to have that um, adrenaline rush and that anxiety just kicking in at any given point at home Mm -hmm. and then it it can also be really frustrating as a parent to constantly be in the mix of that and just feeling as if your home has become one where you're walking on eggshells and not knowing what's going to set somebody off Um, and so I do a lot of work around just being able to take back control in your home Mm -hmm. because so so often I feel like anxiety especially in kiddos just kind of 
ends up ruling everything, ruling the house, ruling yeah. the house entirely. Yeah. Um, and that's where that family systems work comes in it, of how can we sort yeah. of shift and like kind of reallocate, yeah. right? right? Like it's just not conducive because yeah. you're never going to be able to catch up. Anxiety is always going to find another way to mm-hmm. work its way out. Yep. Um, and so just really holding holding true to your family structure and your boundaries and yeah. being able to support your child in those moments, but also not feed that worry and not feed that anxiety it. by accommodating yeah. it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really challenging. Um, so, so I get like what I said before, the parents, we get parents that are concerned with the anger outburst and the irritability that comes with, with anxiety, mm-hmm. definitely ADHD as well. Um, but what I hear and what I see so often is like what you said is this walking on eggshells, mm-hmm. right? Or accommodating and giving into, not because they want to be like right. doing a poor job, it's because they've had to figure out a way to make things work. Yeah. They need to get dinner on the table. They need mm-hmm. to get the kids to bed. They have siblings that need to be taken care of as well. Yeah. So how can we talk to parents a little bit about what are some specific things? Um, I'm to put you on the spot, but I can talk yeah, about no, you're fine. What are some specific things that we can do to help parents sort of take back control or really set up a structure um, that, you know, that really helps the child who's struggling and also the other children in their home? Yeah. I think one of the most important things is just shifting parents' mindset, mm-hmm. not hoping that anxiety goes away altogether <laughs> yeah. or hoping that these anger outbursts are just going to disappear, mm-hmm. but just shifting your mindset that it is going to show up. Mm-hmm. It will come into I the like family that. system. Mm-hmm. And what then tools do I have to be able to combat that? Right. I don't have to change things at home. I don't have to change a meal because they won't eat something specific. I don't need to have a specific show on or a specific routine. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. But just rather expect it to come up and be able to have the script for yourself and for your child that, you know what, bud, the, I see that you're frustrated or I see that you're mm-hmm. feeling this so way right now. It, yeah. And that's that's your worry coming up. That's your anxiety coming up. Mm-hmm. And really just externalizing it for them. Yeah. Um, so kids don't feel, and families don't feel that it's something that is wrong with them. Mm-hmm. But it's just this piece of, it's just their worry. And yeah. how can you pull that out of them and draw that out and say, what do we need to tell it right now? Yeah. Everything is safe. You are okay here. Mm-hmm. And we don't need this piece. We don't mm-hmm. need worry to be here right now. Mm-hmm. We're just going to keep going through and doing our day or doing our routine, and that's going to be okay. Yeah. Um, and I think... That's really great, yeah. Yeah, I think once parents are able to... And this is hard in my own life as well, but once you just have the ability to say, it is what it is, this is a part of our system, mm-hmm. and... We have the tools to go ahead and address it mm, um, versus like panic. Loving, firm. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was, So what I'm hearing, what I really like is this idea of we're going to name what's going on. Mm-hmm. We're going to call it out. We're not, because so often children don't have the language yet mm-hmm. or, or the, you know, the ability right. to express what's going on inside yeah. their little bodies and their brains, yeah. right? And, and we get frustrated as adults. So to be able to say, okay, let me help you. Let's name what's going on. Yeah. I'm going to validate what you're feeling. Mm-hmm. I'm going to you know, acknowledge that it's difficult and it's hard. And we're going to stay the course. Yeah. We're going to still do what's best for, the, for you and what's best for the family, even if you feel anxious. Right. Yeah. Right. I think taking away that surprised response from parents is hard. Is hard, yeah. and so important. it's so normalizing for kids then in that respect, and I'm and freeing for them. Yeah. Um, by being able to change your response and just 
not acting surprised. Yep. Um, yeah, because yeah. it's going to show up. And yeah. so a lot of this work is, it's so true, it's the, um, I forget who the author is, the, um, there's a book that I love, it's the, the uh, he focuses a lot on ADHD and behavioral issues, but anyways, um, he talks about this idea of not having a tantrum yourself as a parent, mm-hmm. right? Like our, our number one job when we respond right. to our children is to actually be an adult and not have a tantrum, right. which I, I don't say from a judgy place. I say from a real honest, I'm a parent too place. Yeah. And I know how hard that is. So Absolutely. sometimes we need to do the work yeah. of taking a step back. Maybe it's going into another room for a minute uh-huh. right? and taking a deep breath. Yeah. Do you coach parents around stuff like that? Absolutely. Yeah. I coach myself around that quite often. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Yeah. I sometimes, yeah, I find myself talking to myself like out loud. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that that's so important in its own right too, is just being able to be transparent in your family and not divulging so much information that's just un, not yeah. age appropriate. But they being able to, to say, I it. have my worries as well mm-hmm. and I have my feelings as well. And this is just a part of you and it's a part of our family and that's okay yeah um and so yeah I do a lot of work just normalizing and Mm -hmm. helping parents kind of come off the ceiling and um recognize that this is this is just a part of them ceiling I love right yeah yeah (laughs) um yeah and just not having a tantrum back yeah it it's not going to get you anywhere and I think by the time parents come in our office they're oftentimes realizing like okay, this system isn't working. What do we need to do to shift right, this? Right, yeah. yeah. One of my favorite questions is like, okay, what have you done so far? And it's like, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, okay, how'd that work for you? It's right. like, well, not so well. That's right. why we're here, right? right? So a couple more questions for you. I really want to talk about the, your, because um, what you sort of just brought up reminds me of this idea of rupture and repair. And I think it's so important in, in, um, in all families, but mm-hmm. especially with, with um, families who have kids who struggle with anxiety and behavioral issues, um, or really any mental health issue. Yeah. Let's talk about rupture and repair a little bit. Sure. Um, what is it? What? So to me, rupture and repair means the ability to be able to, um, like you just said, when something happens, to be able to name it and to be able to say, hey, bud, like I'm mom, mom got really frustrated. I understand you're feeling this way. You know, I have feelings too, and I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. So often that's missing in, in our families for a lot of reasons. We probably weren't, a lot of us weren't raised with parents who did that. It just wasn't the norm. How can we, like, how do you bottle that for parents? Yeah. <laughs> it, it sounds so elementary, but we do a lot. I do a lot of work just around those I statements. I'm feeling this right yeah. now. I'm sorry that, you know, and naming that mm-hmm. and then really working with parents and kids around four steps to an apology. Yeah. And it sounds so basic and simple. What are the four simple? steps? Let's talk about it because you sure. say it's basic and simple, but I know that we forget these yeah. things. And I, I think when it comes to mental health, um, the, the, the more basic and doable, the yeah. better, right? Yeah. yeah. So four steps to an apology, being able to just say, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. identifying what you're sorry for, mm-hmm. fill in the blank identifying what you really would like to try and do next time next time it's not next time I'm not going to do that the Mm -hmm. reality is you are most likely going to do this again right um but how are you going to try and make that different next time or make more of a conscious effort to shift it okay um and then asking for forgiveness Mm -hmm. and allowing space for somebody to feel like they're not ready to forgive is Mm -hmm. okay I think so often we hear teachers and parents say okay say sorry now, what do you say back? It's okay. And oftentimes it's not, it's, okay. It's not okay and they <laughs> yeah. may not be ready to fully forgive yeah. and, and that's okay too. Yeah. So allowing space for um, 
the repair work to actually just take its course. Yeah. Um, and allow it. So then when somebody asks for forgiveness, it's also really important if that person's not ready to receive it mm-hmm. for them to be able to go to the person and say, okay, now I'm ready to move on. Mm-hmm. It's not that person who's had to go through this wave of emotions, send out this apology, be mm-hmm. rejected in a forgiveness. It's not their job to keep checking in every five minutes right. to offer a new apology. Yeah, um, That's really their moment to say, okay, I've done the work that I need to do mm-hmm. and I'm going to give them space, do what I need to do. Mm-hmm. And they're going to be able to come back and let me know when yeah. things are smoothed over and are okay. And I, I think that's so beautifully like uh, can be so beautifully modeled in the parent-child relationship absolutely right yeah so waiting for the child to be able to come to you and yeah whether they don't they may not say i'm sorry but maybe they give you a hug or maybe they do something sweet and you know because you're their mom yeah or their dad that that's their apology and that's really powerful yeah Yeah. oh my gosh it works being able to have siblings have that dialogue Mm -hmm. is so important yeah um we hear often so often it's happening in my own house too just the constant bickering or the constant <laughs> fighting too. yeah um and then the inability to separate from one another yeah. so <laughs> you and I always talk about that when we're like why do they stay right next to right. each other when they're fighting it's like give each other space right yeah. right um so really creating that dialogue and helping kids understand the tools that they have within them yeah. to be able to separate before parents are screaming at them. Yeah. Because uh, they, they're, they're what do you call it, at the ceiling, right? Right. They're, right. Yeah, they're right. Like, There's I'm, no I'm, coming I'm down. Break. I've had enough. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's important for parents to realize that too, what that looks like in their kids. Mm-hmm. There's no conversation to be had with their kids in those moments mm-hmm. when they're having a behavioral outburst and there's so much emotion behind it. Yes. Being able to allow them a safe space to just bring themselves down and mm-hmm. not engaging in so much dialogue. So important. Um, is so important. Because what do you see parents typically do? Trying to talk it out mm-hmm. and then becoming more and more frustrated. And then all of a sudden it becomes a screaming match where both parent and child. Nobody are just, can hear a thing. Nobody can hear anything. Yeah. Um, and so creating understanding around that for a parent yeah. takes some time, but yeah. it's, it's a gift if you can rec- recognize this is a point where I need to step away and there's no work to be done right. in this moment. I need to respond versus react, right? right? And so um, we don't have to go fully into this because I know timeouts versus time ins, this whole thing can mm-hmm. be really complicated. But when you just said, give them space, right, to be right. able to de-escalate so that you can have um, the learning moment, because really that's what discipline is should be about, right, right. is an opportunity to learn Mm -hmm. what do you suggest the parents do I know it it depends on the family but how do you suggest they do timeouts when a kid's for instance having you know a huge tantrum throwing toys freaking out oh it's a big question (laughs) it's loaded and I would handle it differently um depending depending on the child depending on the situation Mm -hmm. um I think a lot of work I think a lot of the work that can be done ahead of time and helping kids understand, again, the tools that they have inside of mm-hmm. them um, and the importance the for friendly, it yeah. is huge. So then you have a foundation for the language to use when they're in the heat yep. of the moment. That's so important. Um, yeah. So if, if your kid's in a space where they understand the importance of needing a quiet, safe place to separate. Right. Um is huge and it's so much easier to get them to that space mm-hmm. when they're throwing and tantruming and all that versus right. a kid that feels like it's a complete punishment mm, it's and coming it's out of the, the blue. worst thing that's happening to mm-hmm. them in their life and it's coming out of the blue um 
So this starts with this um, front loading, right? right? This conversation about if this, this is how we're going to respond when this happens, right. because because I'm trying to help you, not hurt you. Exactly. So they get to be really clear around right. what the expectations are and what right. the consequences. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. And if you don't have that ability and that hasn't been front loaded, I think the most important thing is consistency. If yeah. you put it out there in the universe that they are needing some time away mm-hmm. make things manageable and mm-hmm. attainable don't send them to their room for a week <laughs> don't take away tv for the rest of the year yeah. um don't say something that you can't hold follow and follow through, through on, on. yeah uh, we've and, all done that yeah. yeah and just keep hitting that reset button mm-hmm. until their behaviors calm down mm-hmm. and you're getting what you need from them yeah. um because once kids are smart and they're yeah. so strong and their ability to persevere is incredible. Um, Especially so they, our kiddos with anxiety and ADHD. And we're talking kind of about two specific things. But yeah. on the broader, like kids who have those struggles tend to be really, really intelligent. Yeah. <laughs> because their brain is able to take in a lot of information and they're very aware of all the things that right. there are to worry about. Right. Therefore, they tend to know how to be. Um, a little bit more manipulative right. too and not necessarily in that negative sense but right. just what it is yeah. I think it's important to remember for families that when um, when a child is in a very anxious moment that thinking part of their brain is just turned off yes. it's not firing the way that it it should be yeah. and so I, trying to come from any place of logic or understanding and, and dialogue with them is just it, it's not going to reach gonna them happen. at that point yeah. so creating a safe a space of safety and yeah. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, and calmness is going to be really important Yeah. yeah. one last question for us to kind of chat about and really I want to hear your perspective because I know mine <laughs> when do you for, for parents who are listening or people with young children mm-hmm. in their life like when do you recommend that, what am I trying to say? When do you know they need more help than what their parents can maybe give them? And how do you, when do you think they should seek therapy? Yeah. That's a, another big question. And yeah. It's very depending on the situation. Right. Um, I, I, you know, I, when it's causing them and the family distress, I mean, when that yep. worry is kicking up to a point where it's interfering with just daily routine, mm-hmm. um, and anxiety can look like so many different things, but if it's a struggle every single morning to get to school and there's tears and fighting and, and they can make themselves sick or ill over yeah. it. A lot of times kids, right, will complain of somatic stomach aches, headaches, yeah. Right, or if parents are just at their limit where they are feeling like they have no tools themselves to Mm -hmm. be able to address what's going on, um, oftentimes just being able to recognize that that may be a piece of it Mm. and getting themselves support therapy doesn't have to be forever. Yeah, Um, it shouldn't be. And especially in this world, it's a lot of just coaching and shifting, sorry, (laughs) (laughs) Um, just being able to shift a family dynamic can yeah. make a huge difference in a little one's anxiety. Yeah. So can we highlight that? What you said is, is therapy doesn't have to be forever. Yeah. Um, a couple mm-hmm. things. Therapy doesn't have to be forever and it doesn't, it's, it's not a, like you're in trouble thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, that's right. like what I really want. One of my goals of doing this podcast and, and social media stuff is to be able to spread the like word that therapy yeah. is actually a gift. It can be a gift. Um, and when it's done well, it should be fairly brief and yeah. goal oriented. And um, sure, we all have the, you know, 
sometimes we just want to go to therapy to be able to talk and vent but when especially we're dealing with kids and families we want to have a really clear sort of set of goals in mind and be able to give you parents like an idea of how long this might take we don't usually have an exact answer but I I think it's so important that therapy should be um, thought of as like this is a gift to make um, make things better in your world, in your yeah. child's world, in your world. It's an opportunity um, versus a you've done something wrong, you're not good enough. Right. I think, sadly, that's what we've been taught to believe right. about getting help. Yeah, and I think it's so important for – I think if if more of us had that mindset, I think we'd be getting less calls around – my child needs anxiety, but I don't. I don't want to be part of the system. It's not. It's yeah. not me. It's not my parenting, because again, it's not that any of us in our parenting roles are doing something wrong because we're intentionally doing. Right. We're trying Nobody to wants hurt to our, hurt our, yeah. their child. Yeah. I really, um, I really believe that. Yeah. I absolutely, a hundred percent. So it, it just can be a wonderful tool to be able to bounce ideas off of and create yeah. create new systems that may work differently from what is going on in the house right now. Yeah. Um, and I would love for parents to be able to have that message because it's such a collaborative experience, especially working with young kids. Yeah. Uh, and especially working with us. Yeah. Especially <laughs> working with us. Right. Okay. I would have to throw that in there. But truly, whether you're working with us or yeah. another um, practice or another therapist, like you want to make sure that as a parent, you're involved in the therapy. Absolutely. And I think there are very few um, child and family therapists who wouldn't involve the parent, but right. just, you know, just putting that out right. there. Right. Yeah. If you're not involved, get involved. Get involved yeah. or find a, find a new direction for treatment. Yeah. Okay. Um, anything else you want to say before we wrap up? <laughs> I know that's like how I end my therapy sessions usually, right? Um, I want to say thank you for coming on. I'm stoked to have you as a part of the practice. I think you have so much to offer. I learn from you, which is really cool. Um, yeah, I'm just excited to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me. This yeah. was fun. You it did great. So anxious. She was so nervous, you guys, and she so killed nervous. it. <laughs> All right, thank have you. a great day, you guys. Bye. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Living Well With. Do me a favor, and if you like what you heard, head to iTunes and subscribe. Share with a friend. Consider writing a review. And if you have any ideas for topics that we could cover on the podcast, please feel free to reach out. I'd love to hear from you. You can get in touch with me at caitlin at petalumacbt.org. You can also head to my Instagram page, which is at livingwell underscore with Caitlin, where I talk about different topics each day around mental and emotional health and living well. If you want to be in touch and find out more about what's going on in my practice or upcoming projects, sign up for the newsletter. You can do that on my website or on the link on my Instagram bio. I hope you have a beautiful day. Cheers.